0: Hello and welcome back to the Break from Boredom Podcast. My name is Ethan Ludwig, and I am joined by my friend Dwali.
1: Hello. Um
0: as Connor sadly is not going to be joining us today. Um he got called away to do other things with his family, but it's Thanksgiving week, so that that's fine. Um I do also um want to remind everyone that uh, if you are joining us on Mixler, you can uh, comment live and uh, you can also contact us at breakfromboredompodcast at gmail.com send in questions, comments, whatever uh, same with uh, a Facebook group and page also called Break From Boredom Podcast <laughs> so uh, the reason I wanted to have uh, Paige here today is because it is Diabetes Awareness Month and I, I haven't really been talking a lot about it but Paige is one of my friends who's type 1 diabetic and I am. And, um, I'd like to have you just talk a bit about some some experiences with it and um, good things that uh, people can donate to that, that sort of thing.
1: Uh, well, I've been diabetic type one diabetic for seven years now. I was diagnosed when I was 10 years old. Um, like you said, there's good, there's tons of great, uh, foundations to donate to. There's always a need for it. Cause as of right now, there is no cure for type one diabetes. Um, we just live by taking insulin through, uh, Syringes through pumps, um, whatever we can find and what works best for us. Um, One foundation I know of that's very good is the Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation. It's one of the biggest ones out there. Um, They're a really, really great foundation. They do a lot for, you know, diabetics for research, everything like that. Um, Yeah, as a diabetic, I don't have, you know, most people are diagnosed at a really, really young age. So I guess I was fortunate in a way to be diagnosed when I was 10 years old. Um, I got a lot of my life um, just being able to eat whatever I want, I guess, and not have to worry about injecting myself when I do (laughs) so. But now I live, you know, with needles all the time, every every day, all the time, Um, which it's great to uh, spook people with when you prick your finger and don't even flinch. But, you know, it's It's difficult, but you get used to it, honestly, is all I can really say.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, technically, uh, diabetes is a disability, but it doesn't really affect what you can do most all of the time.
1: Right, yeah, it is considered a disability, because it does affect your life really greatly, but the only time I really have to, you know, stop what I'm doing and pay my full attention to it is if my blood sugar is out of whack, namely when my blood sugar is low. Say, I do cross-country, so if my blood sugar drops while I'm in the middle of a run, I have to stop what I'm doing and treat it before I continue my run, or else I'm going to pass out. So that's just the biggest thing, and, you know, sometimes there's accommodations that I need, such as I have my constant glucose monitor through my phone, so in a lot of my classes I have to let my teachers or professors know I'm going to have to have my phone in class. It might go off while you're teaching. I apologize, but it's kind of helping me live. Um, (laughs) But (laughs) I kind of need it. Um, But that's really about it, you know.
0: And um, I've also done a fair amount of research about, uh, like, prices of things for, like, uh, our speech and debate class right right and um just the sheer price of oh, God, a single ridiculous. vial of insulin is absolutely insane it's uh over 300 dollars. yeah i think it's oh. getting
1: close to 400 about now is what last thing i heard
0: and in canada it's of that.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Yep.
0: (laughs) For the same exact vial. Exactly. Same exact insulin. The
1: way they make it, uh, what's in it has not changed since it was invented. And somehow the price has gone from about $40 or less to $400 since it was invented and started being manufactured.
0: And it's just been in the past 10, 20 years that the prices have skyrocketed.
1: Exactly. Yeah. It's it's difficult. It I I'm fortunate enough to well obviously still be on my parents' um insurance which is fortunately very good. Um so I don't really have to worry about that, but I've read countless heartbreaking stories about people having to or feeling the need to, I guess, wa- actually water down their insulin and that can cause some huge problems. Um my endocrinologist, uh the doctor I go to for my diabetes has talked to me a lot about it. Um At a lot of the clinics where they practice endocrinology, um, they have help available, you know, all the help they can give, but it's hard. It really is hard when it's that expensive to get it for other people or get it for yourself.
0: And then there's also the pumps and CGMs. And uh, speaking of which, like, I hear news of, like, new models all the time, um, Uh, but I don't know like the different ins and outs of them like uh why you'd want one over the other
1: yeah well personally I have the Omnipod I pump um as of as far as I know it's the only tubeless pump out there so I don't have to worry about detaching when I shower when I swim anything like that because it's 100% waterproof or at least the part on my body is I've learned that the part that actually communicates to my pump is not so waterproof, as I learned at cross-country camp and had to buy a new one. Owie. (laughs) Um, As for my constant glucose monitor, I've only had that for about six months, I want to say. I've got the Dexcom G6. Um, It's really good because it's self-calibrating. I'm only having a little trouble with it just now, actually, with it being a little off. Um they suggest you calibrate as much as you feel necessary or, you know, whenever you feel high and it's not telling you you're high or when you're feeling low and it's not telling you you're low or, you know, vice versa. Um, But it's pretty good. I've only gotten, you know, pros from it. Um, My uh, A1C actually went down two points into, I think, about a 6.6, which my doctor recently told me is the best she's ever seen a teenager at. All because of my constant glucose monitor all because of how well it's calibrated all of that it's just a great model Um, I've only had problems um, a couple times about a month ago with the actual sensor Um, there was one time it all on the same night one of mine fell off so I put a new one on that one immediately fell off again and then I put a new one in and it hit a vein and I'm sorry for anyone who's squeamish but it was so bad Oh, not to mention, like, it hurt, obviously, but, like, I put, it was on my arm, so I put my shirt back on after I put it on, and I was going about with my business, and I felt something wet through my shirt, (laughs) and realized that I was bleeding that bad, so I had to change it again. So I had to go through three or four sensors in one night, and that is not cheap, so it hurt me to throw out, like, I don't know how much, I don't know how much CGMs run for, honestly, but I'd have to guess over $300 in one night, <laughs> and just having to re-poke myself with that needle, which is a small one, which is another reason why the Dexcom is good. It's a hair-thin needle, and it's flexible, um, so if you bump yourself in it, you know, it's not a big deal. You're not gonna, you know, rip it out of you s- super easy. It's not gonna move around, and you're not gonna feel it. Um, that's why I like it, at least.
0: But, I mean, that's, uh, sounds like a good thing. <laughs> um... <laughs> And for people that don't know um like what diabetes is it, it's like it targets your pancreas mm-hmm. and it's an autoimmune disease which in turn makes you more susceptible to all other oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, diseases and like uh, 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 like the flu and right
1: yeah all
0: all sorts of things going around it makes it a lot easier you to be affected by it
1: right which is exactly why i tell all of my friends all the time to get their flu vaccinations if they don't i know for a fact i'm gonna get it
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah and it it's just a lot of extra things to think about exactly
1: yeah and diabetes left um you know untreated not treated well enough you can lose your limbs lose your sight you can lose a lot of things so it's really important to take really good care of yourself when you're diabetic, um, and it really sucks that, you know, I have to deal with that my whole life and have to consciously think, okay, I need to stay healthy, because if I don't, it's going to affect my future drastically. It sucks, but I guess it's kind of better for me in the long run, because at least I'm thinking, hey, I need to be healthy, and I know I'm healthy, because I'm seeing a doctor constantly, um, I'm always making sure everything's in check, you know, I'm healthy, I'm making sure I'm exercising, all that kind of stuff just to make sure um, my future self will thank me.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, can you actually switch to the other mic? There's something going on with that one. Sure. I'm not <laughs> not sure. Um, so uh, there's actually a, a new group on SVSU's campus uh, for uh, diabetes, Either people who have it or know somebody who does have it, and uh, they can go there, talk to people, and learn more about it as well. Which um, I haven't heard much about this group other than just on the uh, potty postings that they do. That, that's how they're talking about it. But
1: yeah, that but sounds pretty great. Um, honestly, just going to a really small high school because I go to Hemlock. It's you know there's a hundred people in my grade tops. Um, I only know that are in high school right now. I only know three other type one diabetics. Um, so it's, you know, it's a tight knit community right around there. We all know each other. We all give each other tips. Um, I was just talking to one of my diabetic friends because a, a little while ago he was trying out a new pump that had a CGM in the system with it. Um, I found out it's not so great. So that helped me to know that I shouldn't go on that system, and it's really helpful to talk to other diabetics about that kind of stuff, so I think it's great that they've got that group, because it can be really helpful and it can save you a lot of money from trying something out if you already know it doesn't work. Um, I know my dad is in a Facebook group for my Dexcom, just to see little tips and tricks and all that kind of stuff, and that's helped us so much.
0: (laughs) That's really good. uh, I'm, I'm not really sure what else to talk about diabetes other than um, what, does, like, what does it do to your A1C and what is the A1C? Because I've been explained it a couple times, but I still am not really sure.
1: If I'm being entirely honest with you, I don't think I could even explain <laughs> it properly. I just know it needs to be within a certain range. Um, I'm pretty sure it has something to do with, you know, how often you're high, how often you're low, how often you're at a good blood sugar, um, which your blood sugar is the amount of, you know, sugar in your blood. It's measured by milligrams per deciliter. Um, like right now, I think I'm a little high. I think I'm at about 214 last I checked, which is just on the little bit of the high end. If you're under 70 or low, you know, just for a range basis for everyone to think about. Um, you want to be, I think for teenagers or at least around my age and girls, it's, somewhere between five and seven, so I'm at the pretty good range of being 6.6 right now. Um, Before I was eight or nine, you know, before my CGM, which wasn't good. um, It was affecting my health a little. We were just worried about future health problems, so that's why we turned to getting a CGM and, you know, just whatever will help. Um, uh, Your A1C is basically just, like, the general measuring factor of, like, how, I don't want to say how well you're managing your diabetes but how good your blood sugars are it gives you a general basis to see if what you're doing is working without looking at a huge graph of all your blood sugars within the past, you know three months or so, instead of having those numbers, you have one number just right there and all it takes is a finger prick at the doctor's, so, you know
0: Yeah Yeah, that's why I really wouldn't have like known much about it, yeah so like <laughs> um, but like before you had like your uh, phone connected and uh did you still have a CGM because like with having to prick your finger and take your blood sugar manually uh, what what a new thing did you get that made up so you don't have to like manually check your blood sugar all the time.
1: Yeah, so before, so I've always just had the CGM that connects right to my phone. I've been lucky enough to have that, it's really neat. Um, Before I had that, I just had to prick my fingers at every meal, um, every time I felt a little off, and before and after exercise, although I was not the best at that. (laughs) Um, My biggest problem was I was waking up uh, high, and we didn't know if it was because I was dropping low in the middle of night and that my liver was releasing sugar to kind of jack that back up. We thought that might be the problem. So for a while there, I was having to wake up every hour in the middle of the night to check my blood sugar just to see what it is. Um, so that sucks. <laughs> and that's a lot of finger poking, you know. Um, like I said, it's not that bad. You get used to it, but it's just a lot. You get calluses, you know. Sometimes you get that one poke that just won't quit bleeding. (laughs) Um, But it just sucked overall. And my endocrinologist said, hey, that's stupid. Why don't you look into this? This will make your life ten times easier if the insurance will cover it. I suggest it greatly. So we said, okay, good idea. You're very smart. I trust you. (laughs) We got the insurance to cover it over months and months and months of fighting for it. And tons of notes from my doctor and tons of different prescriptions that the insurance company would allow um and I got that and I just wanted putting it on for the first time and just getting that needle in me just like and seeing my blood sugar on my phone for the first time ever it was insane it was the best feeling ever I cannot oh I cannot even describe it it just felt so good I can't I can't imagine going back to finger pit or finger pokes without it, um, or going back to that and living life without my CGM, it would just be kind of (laughs) hard. Just because now I'm used to being like, oh, I feel kind of funny. Yep, I'm low. Okay, cool. (laughs) And fixing it, you know. Um, Also, when you're low, if you feel low, you have to poke your finger, you, you know, drink a juice box or whatever, you wait 15 minutes and then you poke your finger again. You have to... When you're doing the pricks, you have to check almost constantly. And it's just a pain in the butt, like, to sit down, get all your stuff out, clean your finger, put a new lancet in your lancing device, put a strip in your meter, prick your finger, put your blood in the meter, and go through all those motions. And don't get me started on when you can't get it to bleed or if your meter errors is out. It's, it's a lot. <laughs> so this makes it just crazy easy.
0: Um, one thing that... Um uh like this topic also uh, I have a very strong opinion about is the whole insurance company and uh, medical care in the United States right now. Yeah. <laughs> which I'm sure you are way more familiar with the ins and outs of than I, mean, I am.
1: But. Like I said, I'm on my parents insurance. So, you know, I don't know nearly as much as they would. And like I said, I'm lucky enough to have good insurance through them. Um, recently, actually, my mom's, uh, place of work got bought out by Covenant, and she had to switch to Covenant healthcare, or, like, health insurance, and, you know, not to diss them or anything, but it sucked. It sucked for diabetics. I don't know why I had to go to a Covenant outpatient center just to get my insulin instead of my pharmacy at Meyer. Um, that's where I would get everything else, but my insulin, I had to go to Covenant, There was one time when they wouldn't, when we had first switched over, my first vial of insulin that I had to get through them, they wouldn't give to my mom for the longest time. My insulin, of all things, I have no idea. They had no explanation for us. They were like, oh, it's not ready yet. It's not ready yet. It's not ready yet. So we had to get some through someone else. It was absolutely ridiculous. It was scary. It's because that's the one thing that I need. I can buy the syringes. They're not that expensive. And, you know, the alcohol wipes and everything like that. And I'd have everything to check my blood sugar if need be. And that'd be fine. But the one thing that I need that I can't just get on my own or just buy on my own out of pocket is the insulin. And that's the biggest thing. And And insurance companies are so unwilling sometimes to give it to you. And I get it. You can't, you know... In a way, insurance companies are a business, and I understand that, that, you know, they're making an investment in you, and they have to, you know, get their money's worth, too, but this all relates back to the price of insulin, honestly, with how much it's inflated for absolutely no reason. Um, I was researching some stuff for a paper a little while ago, and I was looking into how there's only three big companies for insulin.
0: There's Novolog... Uh, a
1: Novolog, Humalog, and one other. I honestly don't know the last one. I was on Humalog and I recently switched to Novolog because it's like maybe $10 cheaper at most. And my insurance company said, hey, you're doing this. I said, it's the same thing. I don't care.
0: Because
1: <laughs> it is the same exact thing. Yeah. All three of them are nearly the same formula with a n- different name plastered on the vial. And it's scarily easy for them to all, you know, meet up together and say, hey, let's pay these suckers, or let's charge these suckers a little more. Or, you know, for them to get in this charging battle where one person wants more money, the other person wants more money, and they all kind of slowly raise their prices. Um, It's really scary that our diabetics' lives are kind of in the hands of those insulin companies, and then as an extension of that in insurance companies' hands.
0: And they've been avoiding, like, it, this, like, the process of manufacturing insulin, going to, like, um, like the public and keeping it in uh, copyright by just making slight adjustments exactly. in how they make it.
1: Yeah, in the long run, those adjustments don't If anything. They don't make it any different. It's ridiculous. They're just... Kind of not really scamming us but just playing us just the right way so that we have to pay more and they can keep it like keep it so that they can charge what they want
0: yeah and there have been um, I don't remember how long ago this was if it was a year or two or three but there was a large group of people that um, brought their kids ashes who had died because they didn't get the insulin that they needed because they were either rationing or couldn't afford it. Exactly. They brought that to one of these companies, and they did not care. And it was a large group of people that brought their kids ashes.
1: And I can't imagine that kind of heartbreak over having your own child die because you could not afford a, a medication for them. And I know there's... There's tons of other, you know, illnesses and, you know, diseases out there that have the same problem, and it's just, insulin has been around for such a long time, and we honestly know so much about diabetes that you'd think this wouldn't be a problem anymore. Like I said, there's no cure, but we know a lot about it.
0: Yeah, and it's, like, if you can get the insulin and all of the equipment you need, you can live with it. Right. It's not like if you have this equipment it will still just kill you out of nowhere
1: right it's you can manage it and you can monitor it um it's all about you know like you said, affording everything and having the equipment necessary and it's you know it's nice that you can get like I said the syringes you can it's easy to buy those out-of-pocket and the alcohol wipes um the biggest problem would be the insulin and then the test strips. You know, you only have to buy a meter once. You only have to buy a lancing device once. Uh, Syringes are pretty cheap. Lancets are pretty cheap. The biggest thing is, for some reason, my insurance company has a big problem about giving me test strips. You know, obviously, that's not a big problem anymore for me. But before I had my CGM, they'd they'd wait until the very last minute to give me a new package of them. That and insulin, I don't know why... They're so, um...
0: Stingy?
1: Yeah. (laughs) I have no idea what it is. You know, I don't know enough, quite enough about insurance companies, especially not to explain the test strips. I don't know the out-of-pocket price of test strips. I know insulin is obviously very expensive, but I have no idea for test strips, and I don't know why, you know, these are the necessities for us. And they're so expensive, and they're so hard to get.
0: Yeah. Um also um going back to like the price of insulin how many vials of insulin do you use a month is it one or two mm, yeah on i'd average? say
1: probably about 3 i'd go Four. with you know i'm on the higher end of taking insulin because you know between the ages of say 12 and 20, you're probably at your highest um, basal rates of insulin you're getting all day.
0: Because there's also like the changing hormones. Exactly. That
1: jacks your blood sugars up. So you need more insulin to counteract that. And so that's the time when you need the most insulin. Like my, uh, for the Omnipod, you can put up to just a little over 200 units in it. I max it out. And I keep that on for three days. So I use you know 200 units every three days um so i go through those vials you know relatively quick
0: so like on average if like average person say two vials yeah. of insulin close to 400 dollars per vial mm-hmm. 800 dollars a month which uh that being 96 dollar yep. 96 a hundred dollars a year yeah for just insulin mm-hmm. for a
1: lifetime and you're paying that your lifetime
0: and that price just keeps going higher
1: exactly it's ridiculous I oh it puts me into a mood sometimes if you catch me at the right mood and you get me talking
0: about the price of insulin I don't stop ever yeah <laughs> And, like, I'm not even diabetic, and I also get very heated about this topic. Which
1: is good. I mean, like, (laughs) it should be something that a lot more people people know about and are angry about. It should be a topic that's talked about more.
0: And because this is Diabetes Awareness Month, Mm -hmm. I haven't heard much of anything about
1: it. I honestly, this sounds horrible, but I did not know it was Diabetes Awareness Month until (laughs) you told me that that's one of the reasons why you wanted me to come in. I was like, oh, I'm not a good person. <laughs> I'm diabetic and I didn't even know. <laughs> oh, I felt awful. And But, like, yeah, nobody really publicizes, publicizes it. Nobody really talks about it. You know, people are like, oh, it's diabetes. You can live with it. You know, people live with it nowadays. Um, but there's so much lack of education. There's so much lack of awareness, especially about the insulin crisis. I've had so many people come up to me and say, oh, you're diabetic. And I say, yeah. They say, but you're skinny. And I want to punch them in the face. <laughs> and there's so many people that I say, I'm type 1 diabetic. They say, there's two types? <sighs> I, oh, There's such a lack of education sometimes. Um, it's just absolutely ridiculous. My dad got to uh, convince someone that I just decided I wanted to be diabetic one day. What? Yeah, yes, He. he, yeah, that actually (laughs) happened, it's absolutely horrible, which I mean she was very gullible to be fair, (laughs) and not educated on a lot of things I'm sure, but it's just absolutely ridiculous that I get these kinds of questions, you know, all the time whenever I meet someone new and they find out I'm diabetic. I actually just started a new job working at a law firm and I've been there for almost a month now, and just the other day my boss found out I was diabetic, because you know it never came up before. but it's just funny you know nothing bad happened with him he knew what he was talking about there's another diabetic at the office actually um so that's good but yeah (laughs) Uh,
0: are there like employers that um even though they're not supposed to be biased in any way in quotes um, (laughs) they that they do make it more difficult for uh diabetic people to be employed by them uh, like whether it be in sort of interviews or whatever, if it comes up that like you're diabetic, they do they see that as a disability and try to well
1: like, yeah it's because it is a disability and under the um disabilities act that's you know illegal. Um, I am always actually kind of worried that that will be a thing. I try to not bring it up in an interview unless I can turn it into a sign of responsibility, which I often do. I say, well, I've been diabetic since I was 10. I I've too closely monitor myself. I have that kind of responsibility under my belt. And I use that a lot um, because I am a responsible person because of it. But I am sometimes very worried that people will see it as oh, I'll need to take more time off while I'm on the clock to check my sugar or to manage it or take insulin or anything like that. I've been lucky enough. I've only had two job interviews, and I've gotten both jobs, and both of my employers are really great about it. You know, I I still have both jobs. I'm working at Crooked Creek, and you know Bob. He's a great guy. (laughs) Um, He's great about it. You know, everyone working there is great about it. They ask me questions. They try to learn with me. It's really great. Um, Everyone's really nice there. And then at the law firm that I've recently started working at, like I said, someone else is diabetic there. Other than me, there's only four people in that office. So, you know, everyone knows everyone. Everyone knows everything about everyone. (laughs) It's such a small office that if you say something, everyone's going to hear it. and we all learn together too, you know. My CGM will go off, and they'll ask me if I'm okay. You know, they'll make sure I have what I need, all that kind of stuff. It's really great. Um, but yeah, that's always kind of in the back of my head that someone will find out I'm diabetic and you know have a different view of me because of it. Or like you said, in a job interview, that'll stick in their head and like they, it'll just slightly sway their opinion about me. And I can't imagine it's that hard to twist how you say it and say no, I did not. Uh, hire her because she's diabetic, I, I, I didn't hire her because of this, you know?
0: Yeah, because people are very good at finding other excuses. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> and and um, the other day, I'm, I was talking to some uh, people about uh, someone who I know is diabetic, and, like, I ended up getting sick, and, like, Man, they seem to get sick pretty often. And, <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, diabetes is an autoimmune disease. It makes you way more susceptible to everything. Exactly. And I, oh, I I didn't know that. And mm-hmm. like they're pretty um, uh, also like they keep up pretty well with that person who mm-hmm. is diabetic, and they didn't know it was right. An exactly. Disease.
1: Yeah. Um, which, you know, that doesn't come up super often. I, I've i gotten so tired of a- answering some people's questions sometimes because some people honestly treat me like their personal Wikipedia about diabetes. So I get <laughs> exasperated about it and I say, my pancreas doesn't create insulin, period. That's it. That's That's the disease. That's it. But it is more than that, you know, I just don't have the energy anymore for them to explain all of it. And I feel bad. Yeah. And, you know, it's kind of hypocritical to say, oh, people are uneducated, but it's not my job as a diabetic to educate everyone. Um like I told you before we started i'm still I'm getting over a sickness. I'm sick constantly, um, even though I wash my hands all the time, I get all my vaccinations,'m all my family gets all their vaccinations, but it takes you know one person at school that comes to school sick and I get sick and then all my family gets sick, and then I get sick again, and it's just this big cycle, and it's oh, it's ridiculous. yeah,
0: and that's why like uh, at a lot of schools, they always say don't come in if you're sick, exactly. but then they make it really hard.
1: We were talking stuff. about that in English just a little while. It comes up a lot, you know, um, with how, you know, Hemlock is, with if you, you can miss two days in your senior year, your second semester, and then you don't have to take your English and math exams. Um, that's going to be a problem for me, <laughs> <laughs> considering I have to miss at least two or three Days in the semester just due to going to the endocrinologist. Um, Not to mention getting sick, not to mention, you know, family affairs, anything else.
0: Yeah, and you'd think that at least medical reasons that, like, these are planned appointments that you can't really move around school
1: which i already said i was going to throw a fit if our principal does not allow that for me because there was there's one of the other diabetics at our school was in that class as well and i looked at her i was like we can go to him and we can make we can throw a big ol' fit (laughs) because that that is not right that should not be allowed for them to not take even medically excused absences and wipe them off the record for at least that because um, i can get a doctor's note you know but i'm going all the way out to ann arbor to go see my doctor so it's an all-day thing
0: yeah it's not like just going to the med express exactly that's right down the road exactly yeah
1: i go in the i have to drive in the morning i have to get there half an hour early i have to sign in i have to wait for the doctor p- to be ready for me you know i sit in there with my doctor for an hour two hours sometimes i have to get blood work done and then you know getting back out of the hospital that actually takes a lot um because i go to u of m and that's you know quite a bit of a drive from where I live, too, because I live kind of around here.
0: Yeah, U of M is not known for being good for parking.
1: Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, not at all. That's, you know, when I say half an hour early, that's loosely. <laughs> that's if we're really cutting it close. Um, but it's it's definitely an all-day thing for me. And all the other diabetics I know that go to my school, they their endocrinologist is at U of M or, you know, in Flint, something like that. So for everyone it's kind of an all-day thing you know it's it's kind of a big deal too because you only see them uh, every three months or four months I can't remember off the top of my head um, you know when you're a child at least when you're when you have a pediatric endocrinologist once you're an adult um, you see them every six months I believe um, but it's kind of a big deal because when you're going through so many changes and your blood sugars are changing so often and you're kind of all over the place with your blood sugar and your A1C isn't great and all this kind of stuff plus school on top of that um, it's important to see your doctor and you want to spend that time wisely and you want to spend as much time as you can get with doctor talking about your concerns talking about your health talking about everything yeah. um, and they have services at least through U of M for you know Um, making sure you're all right at home, making sure everything's okay at school, especially pertaining to your diabetes, Um, making sure, you know, they have depression screenings because you're more susceptible to depression when you're diabetic too. Um, It seems like you're susceptible to literally everything when you're diabetic. (laughs) But it's, you know, it's a big deal. It's a big deal to see your doctor and it's really important to do so. So, when schools aren't very allowing of that it's absolutely ridiculous and it kind of gets me a little fired up
0: (laughs) yeah and that's part of like the better part about college is like you have maybe three classes in a day right yeah and like with those professors either if you have to have it on that day most professors will be like, "Oh yeah, sure, go ahead." Right, and, and it's, it's fine.
1: It's not hard to schedule your appointment on a day that you don't have class. But when you're in high school, you when can't you
0: have class every day. Exactly,
1: you can't schedule your appointment over the weekend. They they're not there. <laughs> they're not gonna want to see you on a Saturday. That's their weekend too. But yeah, it's I'm. That's what I'm looking forward to. You know, I'm a dual enrollment student, so I'm already getting a taste of that. But I do night classes, so I do you know, five, six hours of high school, and then I go and do a three-hour class, you know, um, and that's kind of a lot, <laughs> but I'm feeling, a, I'm getting, you know, at least a taste of that kind of freedom, um, and I'm really looking forward to it just because, you know, being able to work around it, being able to schedule my appointments around it, you know, all that kind of stuff, because it's easier to schedule, like I said, your appointment on a certain day than you that you don't have class than trying to Schedule it on a day where class might not be as important.
0: Yeah. And so uh, you are a high school student and you dual enroll Mm -hmm. and you have two jobs.
1: Yep. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) That's why it's taken me so long to get here and actually get on this because you've been asking me for a while and I feel really bad about it. (laughs) But I work a lot. I work... Normally Mondays, Tuesdays, and Fridays, and have my classes Wednesdays, Wednesdays and Thursdays, um, and that's work at the law firm, uh, which is right out when I get out of school because I don't have a sixth and seventh hour. So that is right when I get out of school, then to five thirty, um, and then over the weekend that's Crooked Creek territory. <laughs> I try to give myself at least one day off a week. Um, recently, I've been working at the law firm, you know, Wednesdays and Thursdays too to make room for other stuff like. Like I was telling you, we had our play, um, so I had to work around that. Um, I actually decided not to go to one of my classes uh, that was on the Thursday because that was our opening night, and I was like, well, you know, it's my it's my last opening night of the fall play of my senior year. I got to go. I I can't go to English class. I just can't. I can't miss this. Mom didn't like that excuse, but I did it anyway.
0: <laughs> so you're already getting an ex- experience of, like, being a regular college oh, student. Oh, yeah. Of the mm-hmm. whole working and classes and trying to balance them out.
1: Right. I have two jobs, and I have $5 in my banking account. It's great. <laughs> so,
0: yeah, you're... You'll be at least pretty well adjusted yeah. <laughs> when you get to college. <laughs> yes.
1: That's what I keep telling myself, at least, is this, this is all just preparing me. I just got to get through it. It's just preparing me. <laughs>
0: um, So... Uh, as I was talking about last week, Hemlock did the Diary of Anne Frank. Right. And sadly, I wasn't able to make mm-hmm. it out there. Um, so how how did it go? Like, it was
1: good. It was a big emotional toll on all of us. Um, I did make up for it. Um, so I wasn't, you know, super attached to any of the characters or anything. But I sat backstage because I also helped with a couple of uh, the quick changes too. And just listening to it, it just takes a huge emotional imen- emotional toll on you. Everyone was just emotionally exhausted, just all that weighing on your mind. When you, the more you watch it and the more you listen to their stories, the more heartbreaking it is. Um, and there was a monologue at the end by Mr. Frank, uh, talking about you know how all of his family died. You know the last time he saw them. Um, him figuring out how they died, all of that kind of stuff, and it was either opening night or our Friday morning show, and I just sat in backstage and just bawled my eyes out. I think it was, it was either Friday afternoon or Saturday that um, our stage manager and then one of the other actors in the show they were both backstage and they were just crying so hard and i sat there rubbing my friends back for you know the 10 minutes before she had to go back on stage and just watching herself watching her trying to collect herself before she had to go back on stage it was i was trying so hard not to cry myself it was crazy um it was really great because like we, we were telling this story to the audience. You know, we were passing on the story. We were passing on the education of what happened, you know, how heartbreaking it is, how important it is that we don't repeat this, and all that. Um, unfortunately, we, we did have a Friday morning show when one grade from the high school and one grade from the middle school came to watch. Um, it was very heartbreaking that the middle school was more mature than the high school. Yes, <laughs> it was, oh, I went back to class afterwards and I was riled up because <laughs> we were all backstage crying, just bawling our eyes out. And we hear some of the audience laughing. Our director took down names, you know, because that's absolutely not OK. And it was one of Gerard's classes and, you know, she's not going to stand for that. <laughs> yeah. Um. But, yeah, it was ridiculous. And just to because we want to respect their stories we want to do that play in a respectful manner to bring light to their stories to bring light to what happened bring light to how heartbreaking it is and all that um and i think our cast did a very very good job at that um it was wonderful one of the nights i went out to the tech booth instead so that i could actually watch it and it was just wonderful they did a very good job um you forgot, you know, what was going to happen next at a moment. Uh, there was a scene where, you know, they all thought they were going to leave the annex, where they thought they were going to, you know, be free, go back to the outside world, and, you know, then the Nazis come in, and the tension in the theater is just insane. It's absolute. you can feel it in the air that everyone's spirits just drop, because... Our actors did such a good job building the audience up that you forgot that that's how the story ended. Forgot that it's not a happy ending, you know? It's not, a, you know, easy to watch play, but it's a good one. It's really, It really is. They did an amazing job at
0: it. That's really good to hear that, like, they were able to put on such a good performance mm-hmm. of the show. Because I, I didn't know what to sort of... Expect right. Yeah, me too. It's because of the nature of the show and how how many like young faces there are in the program. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, it. I was very happy with the casting when I saw it posted up. You know, even though I wasn't in it, I. I had high hopes for the cast, and they did not disappoint at all. They stepped into those roles, they took on the responsibility, and they just ran with it. They did great, they were respectful, they were, um, you know, mature about it. Um, The whole cast was, really, you know, all of the backstage, all of the makeup crew, all of the costume crew, everyone. The tech, everyone... Realized, okay, this isn't what we're used to, but we're gonna do the best we can, and we're gonna be respectful. We get a break from that though, because we're going on to Susicle next.
0: <laughs> so Complete that'll be one eighty. Yes,
1: exactly. <laughs> we'll get a bit of a breather and a you know a break from being emotionally exhausted and just having to be serious. You know, um, which there was a little you know com- comedic relief in Anne Frank, but you know, not enough. <laughs> you know, I mean the right amount for such a serious play, but having it be such a serious play, people aren't used to that at our school. Um, Yeah. It's not what is expected from our program.
0: I think uh, 12 Angry Jurors started people to be a bit more open to, like, serious nature of shows. Because that one, um, I didn't get to do, or I didn't do anything in that show, Mm -hmm. but going and seeing it was... It was incredible. It was
1: a good one, yeah. I was backstage for that one. Um, you know, we've done plays and musicals in the past that were, you know, fun and easygoing, but they had, you know, serious topics, you know. Whenever I listen back and or look back and listen to a chorus line, you know, it's a fun it's a fun musical, but when you you know, actually listen to the lyrics it's and some of
0: it is super depressing. It
1: is. It's heavy, you know, the fact that I didn't realize that back then. But it just has this nostalgia to it now, which I yeah. love. You know, having that my freshman year and now listening to it again in my senior year, I cry like a baby. Because <laughs> it, it's, you know, theater is a great way to take on topics like that in a fun way. Um, I think, you know, when we did Almost May and that did a good yes. job, too. When I, I we were, was going
0: to bring that mm-hmm. up as well.
1: When we were talking about, you know, relationships and, you know, heartbreak and um, new love and all these kinds of things in such a fun, easygoing way, you know, it was whimsical. You know, it was kind of this magical world where anything can happen. And but it had the seriousness to it. Then there's
0: those two, two or three scenes that just make you cry. Oh, yeah. Because they're oh, yeah. so heartbreaking.
1: Oh, yeah. People would come up to me after and about Parker and I seen uh, where I had to go from, you know, being the meanest person ever to absolutely melting and being, you know, the sweetest girl, just like a roller coaster of emotions and like mood changes. And they'd come up to me and be I didn't know you could be so mean. Remind me not to get on your bad side. I was like, hey, it's just a character. She was mad. Leave her alone. But it, I, I love that theater is a way that you can take on serious subjects while still being, you know, light and fun-loving about it.
0: Oh, yeah. And, like, I got to stage manager, er, or uh, student direct that show. Mm-hmm. And that, it was so, so cool. Because, like, I got to help everyone work on their scenes. Right. And, um, like, Look at how different scenes were approached. Right. Where the rest of the cast didn't because it it was just the people in this scene. They're the only ones that need to be there. Exactly. It, so getting to see like how these different scenes were handled and mm-hmm. like how to stage them, like actually physically on mm-hmm. the stage, right? And it, how to get the com- comedy of uh, the. They Fell scene. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs>
1: Everyone loved that one. I mean, hey.
0: It, like, leading into with, like, out, coming from, uh, like, the prologue, interlogue, mm-hmm. and epilogue right. scene where one of my friends uh, is, like, just waiting for this girl to come back. Right. And it's just him alone on a bench not Mm -hmm. saying anything exactly and just looking super sad and then switching to the comedy of the they fell scene right and then going into one of the like most heartbreaking scenes after that Mm -hmm.
1: right it's it was that I love that play so much um I knew I was gonna love that production from when I you know watched another school do it just to you know get a feel of what we were taking on I I knew it from auditions that it was going to be a really fun production because you get a scene partner assigned to you, and they become family to you. You know, you guys are the only ones focusing on your scene other than, you know, the director and, you know, you, the uh, student director. And it's intense, you know, having to put that pressure on yourself thinking, oh, no, I'm going to disappoint my scene partner. But it's not the case, you know, you learn from each other, you build off of each other's en- energy um, and mood, and I was really lucky to, you know, have Parker, who is a great, was a great scene partner to have, we <laughs> became so much closer because of it, um, you know, we're best friends now, and we still quote the show, <laughs> we still just, will see each other in hall and go, it's a ring, Gail, <laughs> it's great, and we just got this bond because of it, and, you know, uh, we did that show twice, and Parker and I got to keep that scene, this the same scene twice, um, when we did it at our school and when we took it to our competition. It was just really great to be able to pick up where we left off and continue working with that scene.
0: Yeah, and also having like the whole fun part of having you switch places in your scene oh
1: my gosh that was Th- that, <laughs> i forgot about that that
0: was so much fun to that watch. was
1: fun that was fun just to see each other's roles from that perspective was great there was one time our director uh wanted my energy to be higher when i first entered the scene because you know i entered the scene and boom right away i was just yelling she made me run a lap around the school <laughs> <laughs> she said okay your energy isn't where it needs to be today go run a lap i said what? <laughs> she said, you run cross country going on a lap. I was like, are you, you're dead serious. She said, I'm dead serious. So I ran a lap. I come running back into the theater. I run up the stairs. I pound on the door to come in. He opens the door and I said, no <laughs> And the energy was there. My heart was racing, but the energy was there. <laughs> she, yeah. you know, she knows what she's doing. Um, and it was, like I said, it was great to pick up where we left off and just continue building on that. Because we're what we needed from that scene from me was a roller coaster of emotions, just ups and downs and ups and downs. And I didn't have that the first time we did it. And I see that looking back on it. Um, you know, it was it was good the first time we did it, but the second time we did it, it was a lot better. It felt a lot more correct, you know. Yeah. It felt more true to the characters.
0: And to briefly summarize the scene for everyone who completely <laughs> right, lost. Right, right, right. <laughs> um, it's like. Um, Paige played Gail, who is in a long-term relationship with Lendl, and uh, she's...
1: Seven years. <laughs> she's
0: uh, been dating for seven years and waiting for him to ask her to marry him. Mm-hmm. And just out of nowhere, she just is had enough and comes storming to his house and just lets loose. Into him and he's very confused. Oh yeah, oh yeah. In
1: this scene, love is a physical thing. Yeah. So I bring him bags and bags and bags and bags of love. And I said, here's your love back, we're done. Now bring me mine. And he brings out a small little gift bag.
0: And like <laughs> The different reactions from the audience. Oh, at yeah, that yeah. It's <laughs> always really funny. Like,
1: one night would be, oh no. The next night would be cracking up, laughing. The next night would be like, angry at me for, you know, being so <laughs> rude to him and not giving him enough love. Um, <laughs> yeah.
0: That, and, oof. Like, the whole thing with Almost Main is. It's a very relatable story, right? With one weird thing to like, exactly. sort of demonstrate mm-hmm. what's going on. Like in one scene, a shoe falls out of the exactly. sky. Exactly. Yeah. But that's not the focus of it. You were it. you
1: were talking about the they fell scene when two guys fall in love with each other. They like, literally fall. They fall to the ground.
0: <laughs> it's like two guys. They're they're discovering their emotions for each other. Mm-hmm. Like whether it be like a friend love or mm-hmm. whatever. They're finally figuring that out and they just keep falling. Exactly. And they're literally falling in love with each other. Right. And it's it's absolutely amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, I love the writing for that show.
1: It's amazing. I I cannot believe I didn't know about it before we did it. I'm surprised that it doesn't have more publicity, because it is a really relatable and fun show. I would have loved to... I really want to be able to see another school do it. When we went to the competition, there was another cast doing it, but they didn't do all the scenes. Like, they didn't... And they did it a certain way. They did it
0: in a very different style to to us. They had
1: a limited cast, too. So they had one guy doing multiple roles, which it was hard because i already knew that so it was hard to put myself you know in the zone in the story instead of thinking oh this is how this character is you know taking this role on this is how he's taking this role on you know
0: and um, when we took that to competition um, my friend like getting horribly sick oh, like yeah. right before we go on and he's trying to feel better and to actually perform but like, this is the first time that he got to do this scene because right. we got to do different scenes.
1: Right, and, and this stage is four times the size of our own, so it's an amazing experience. You know, the auditorium is four to size our own. It's a proper light system. It's a proper sound system. It's got, you know, a catwalk that's unheard yeah. of at Hemlock.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and we were we were just, like, waiting. Like, we're in the middle of performing, and we're, like, in the light and mm-hmm. sound areas, and we're like, is, is he doing better? Is, is he okay? Like, right. We're, we're gonna have to cut the scene. He's right. He was better. getting he... sick
1: backstage, having to run out of the backstage area. It was just... I felt so bad for him. I felt so bad for his scene partner.
0: They were looking forward to that so much. They were. They it was had so it was, much fun making it.
1: Exactly. It was one of the most fun scenes. It was a lot more fun um, you know, just because of who they are as people. They were open to making that scene the way they wanted it. And yeah. the way... Like, it could we be couldn't,
0: We couldn't make that scene in that way when we first right. Put it on. Yeah,
1: we couldn't put that those sexual undertones, basically. Um, right. <laughs> but with the other people in it, they were open to it. You know, they were comfortable with it, and it it would have been amazing. And I I got to see it while they were practicing. Yeah. Um. So I was lucky enough to be able to see that and be able to enjoy that. But I really do wish we would have put. On, you know, maybe a fundraising show at our school so that we could have done it again. That's what we were gonna do this year um, for the competition show. We just recently had to cut doing the competition show just because of how much time and how much, you know, emotional stress Anne Frank put on everyone and already having Susicle auditions coming up. Um, I believe our director said we're gonna do auditions before Christmas break. So yeah. we just don't have the time to do the competition show this year. Um, But that was going to be our plan: was do a show and just you know donate if you want. Uh, The donation box would be out. You know, everyone, anyone wants to could go see it and just do one show.
0: Yeah, and like I'd seen the Instagram feed a couple days ago, and the Hemlock Theater Department saying that there were going to be two more shows, which is really strange because there's always just been two shows the whole year. And that saying that there's going to be a third one this year.
1: Right, we were going to do our place, which is a lot like almost Maine, you know, um, in that it's one uh, location but tons of different stories. Um, our place is located on a dock, whereas almost Maine is located in a almost very Maine. rural yeah, part area, of Maine. Part of mm-hmm. Maine
0: that's not actually a, a real <laughs> place.
1: We're just almost because
0: <laughs> they're, they're almost a city. <laughs> They just Uh never got the legal things worked out.
1: (laughs) But we thought it would be, you know, a fun thing to do a new show for uh, the competition, especially because I don't think we would have been able to bring in Frank to the competition just because of the amount of quick changes. The fact that we had actual food on the stage, you know, that just would have been a lot of work to bring it to the competition. And it would have been a lot of adjusting to put it on a big, to translate it onto a big stage like that that we aren't used to. Um
0: Yeah, because when we did Almost Maine, like, how it's written, um, we weren't able to do it at Hemlock the way that it's supposed to be done because our stage isn't big enough. And at this other school, we actually had a big enough stage so we could have three different scenes on the stage at the same time and then jump back and forth in between them. Oh, yeah. And versus when we did it in Hemlock, it is just, is this one scene and you do in this entire scene no breaks at right, all right
1: yeah um and for the competition you do need you know a one act play you know no, we don't get an intermission just for you know time saving purposes and it's more helpful if you do have a couple scenes you can cut because for almost main we did cut a couple scenes just for time purposes you know aside from that last scene that we had to cut for unfortunate unfortunate circumstances We wouldn't have been able to do that for Anne Frank. And Anne Frank is kind of a long show, you know? It's a really good one, like I was saying, but it would have been too long and it would have been a lot to do to bring into the competition. I don't think we would have been able to do that. And it's going to end up being for the best that we cut the competition, you know, in general. Yeah. We were throwing around the idea of still going to watch and to do the workshops that they offer there, but not bringing a show to it. So we'll see what we do when it comes to that regard. But... They're thinking of next year going back to doing three shows like we originally planned for this year because it's just it would be a really cool concept.
0: Yeah, and like the workshops that like we had available while we were there, they're so much fun. They
1: were amazing. They taught you a lot.
0: They taught you a lot, and you got to learn a bit of stage combat, Mm -hmm. which is always really fun. Oh,
1: they're so much fun! I did a lot of improv classes. Those were. Hilarious to watch, h- hilarious to participate in. It was just that was great.
0: <laughs> yeah, I I did stage stage combat with a few of my friends, and mm-hmm. it uh, it it's so so cool how how complex like all the stage combat is, and no matter how small of a combat scene is in your play, you have to have somebody who is trained to teach people right. the, the stage combat for safety and you're there for a very long time. Right. But it takes a very long time it takes to a lot. Yeah, one step of the combat. Exactly. And then like if you see a play with one of these scenes in it and it's just so fluid of emotion. It's right. It's like How long must you have taken to get this done?
1: Exactly. If you can imagine how long it takes just to do, you know, regular choreography, stage fighting is going to take twice as long just to make sure everyone's safe, you know, and nothing will go wrong to break the, you know, illusion of it being real or to break, you know, the sureness of of each actor's
0: safety. Yeah, and even just something as simple as a single slap Mm -hmm. in a play.
1: It takes a lot more than you think.
0: It... Yeah, because before <laughs> I had learned about this workshop, I had assumed that it was a fairly easy thing to like go through and learn how to do. But after doing that, you you learn how many different uh, ways you can slap oh, yeah. somebody, <laughs> depending on where the audience is, where you are on the stage, right, and yeah. what sort of sound effect you want, where you're hitting the person. <laughs> It, it, yeah, it's, in, it's so much that goes into it.
1: Right, yeah. I think in general, um, theater doesn't get as much credit as it's worth. You know, people think, oh, you're going up there and just, you know, acting a role. But it's so much more with, you oh, know, yeah. choreography, with, you know, um, especially in musical theater, you know, the some people do, you know, like lessons to be able to make sure they can sing the way they want, you know, to hit the notes they want.
0: Um, and then singing like that and dancing
1: exactly yeah and doing a thousand (laughs) things at the same time how hard it is to sing and also put emotion into your voice without sounding janky yeah um and with non-musical theater like going back to Anne Frank the emotional toll it puts on you because
0: you're living in that role exactly
1: you want to put yourself in the character's position you know that's what I did for Almost Maine you know I thought okay I know this character, I know her life, I know, you know, how she's reacting to this, how would she react to, you know, maybe something else, you know, just to get a feel for who she was as a person. Yeah. Especially that, if someone forgets their line and you have to do improv, you're gonna want to know those
0: things. Yeah, and you have to know like, your character. And Exactly. It, so, even if you aren't method acting, you're still living your character. Exactly. And, like, with Back to the 80s, with our... A little, little uh, scene where uh, we have a football and we're throwing it at mm-hmm. the main character, and uh, he's supposed to like drop his papers because of it. Well, he either like forgot to drop them mm-hmm. because the football didn't hit him or whatever, but he didn't drop them. So the other character he just had to like march across the stage to grab his football and just slap the papers <laughs> out of his hands, it, just because that's an important part of the scene right yeah so to still get the effect and have something go wrong
1: exactly yeah
0: a lot of like sudden oh no what do we do this hasn't come up yet
1: yeah and And that's why you need to practice improv so it's an an immediate reaction that oh this is what i can do you know it's so important to know how your character would react to you know things that you know might go wrong um and you know, uh, I'm sure Parker had to practice, you know, if I was taking too long to bring the bags in, because
0: that's... He's just got to stay on he's stage. He's just got to stand there in and silence. just, like, inspect each little Ex- bag.
1: Exactly, exactly. I had a part after he brought the tiny bag to me where I was alone for a long moment, because he exits after that. Yeah. And our director was stressing that I need to draw it out, because I would bring my other line so quick.
0: Yeah. It, sitting on stage... And oh, you don't know fear
1: anything. until you do that. You okay. don't know fear until you have to <laughs> sit on stage and not say a thing
0: And that's why I like, felt so bad for my friend with the like intermission scene because yeah. that's his entire: that's scene. That's hard.
1: That's hard. Like
0: we're bringing out a bench on stage and him it's entirely his body language. Winter outfit with a snowball. <laughs> right. Is, like the only prop he has. He's like, I've, I've just got the snowball. All
1: he's got is, you know, his body language, what way he can look, you know, what he can, the prop he can look at, and, and just gauging the audience reaction and, like...
0: And trying to give a cue to the light people to actually put right. the lights out. Yeah. And, like, because he can draw that out as long as he wants as long as long until he gives the cue. Right. So it's entirely up to him Mm -hmm. how long this silence is going.
1: Exactly. But then there's that, you know, inner struggle of, oh, has it been long enough? Oh, has it been too long? Is this getting awkward? Has it not sent into the audience yet? You kind of have to, you know, kind of gauge the audience reaction and see, okay, how are they responding to this?
0: Yeah, so, like, there was one one day where um, I think we, for some reason, they made it an extra long it, I silence, think I remember and, that, yeah. <laughs> like, the audience just, after a while... They started they, laughing. They, start they started laughing, laughing yeah. Like, it changed the mood.
1: It did, yeah. It, and I think it was a good break from, you know, what they had been doing, you know. It was a, it was a new look at it, you know. It yeah. was getting awkward, and he was pushing the awkwardness. Because, I mean, that scene, you know, got a little awkward, and that was kind of part of the point of it.
0: Yeah, and, like, I got to direct that scene, and, like, the whole... right. Three bits that mm-hmm. of this story. I got to direct those on my own, which was scary in itself. Right. And but trying to get him to actually draw this silence right, yeah. as long as we needed to. Difficult.
1: It is, yeah, exactly. It, I'd do my scene over and over, and my director would say, nope, that, that silence needs to be longer. And I'd just die a little inside. Because <laughs> I, I already felt awkward. Because, I mean, you know, you're practicing without an audience there. Yeah. You don't know how they're going to react. You don't know what exactly is going to be long enough because you're not getting a reaction. Um, I had a few, you know, quiet lines, but I was talking to myself. You know, and that's hard. Just I was trying to use body language. I was trying to use you know my movements and the blocking for the scene to you know portray certain emotions. Um, And like my small little lines didn't really do much for me. It felt like I was just sitting in silence, and I had to just feel it out and say, "Okay, I think that's when it'll get awkward." I'll stop. (laughs) But it's strange because like that scene, I got to chose in essence, when I stopped being silent and when I continued on the scene and continued on the plot.
0: Yeah, and, like, uh, with my friend, I, like, what we ended up doing to try to help draw him out was we made him go into his character's mind and, like, think about exactly what his character is thinking about that caused this situation, why he's here alone, why he's still sitting here and not like following the girl right. and while he, why he's still waiting here and trying to get that to come across in his face and like his where he looks and trying to get him to show he's thinking about these things right. and getting it on his face.
1: And honestly, that's a good way to do it is to have, honestly, just nonverbal lines that you just think in your head of the character's own thoughts. That's what I kind of did a bit in my scene was I had a thought process. I'd think lines, in essence, Um, just nonverbal things to kind of think this is what they would be thinking at this moment, this is, you know, how they would be reacting and all of that.
0: One of the biggest things that our director uh, told everyone was, like, if you, like, go out of where you're at and what you're currently doing and you think about what you're going to have for dinner later, you can see it on their face. Mm-hmm. Oh, you, for sure. And that—that that is one of the biggest like take homes for me from that play mm-hmm. is like keeping the actor in the scene.
1: Right. Yeah. That was a big thing, and that was, um, you know, our director's first actual play. You know, non-musical play that she uh, really did because Twelve Angry Jurors, you know, was student casted um, and slightly student directed in the beginning there. Um,
0: Transitioning directors
1: Right, yeah, that was fun fun. Um, (laughs) And then we transitioned to Back to the 80s, which was A very musical musical, you know Um, It's
0: a nostalgia trip Oh yeah, oh yeah (laughs) That's all it is
1: Right, and, you know, it was a great show, but it didn't have a lot of, you know, character depth, really. Right. So going then into Almost Maine that has, you know, backstories that has, you know, a lot of emotion put into it, it was great for us to learn how to do that. It was great to learn how to kind of create a backstory for your character, at least fill in the puzzle pieces that aren't told on paper, that aren't told through your lines.
0: Yeah, and, like, one of my favorite things for, like, switching roles Mm -hmm. in that whole time was with Caitlyn and Isaiah, because uh, (laughs) Caitlyn couldn't find the right energy for Mm -hmm. her character. That was such a cute scene, though. And then like, uh, when we had them switch, and Isaiah did that scene, as Mm -hmm. that role, it, um... (laughs) Completely different. And, like, Caitlyn seeing that, and she... Just went like, oh my god! I have so much to learn. Oh,
1: god. I love them. Yes, that was such a good scene. That was one of the sadder scenes for
0: sure. That was one and of the heartbreak. Isaiah
1: scenes. did it good. He did that role justice. He of, did
0: very much. So because mm-hmm. it's this woman, just a heartbroken like, man
1: and a woman trying to come back to him, but it's too late at that point.
0: And like, you have to have somebody who is either really short or really thin and mm-hmm. tall to show that they've lost a, you know, a big part of themselves.
1: Right, they call it, they lost hope, so they physically lost their hope. Yes. Isaiah is a short... <laughs> yes. um,
0: yeah.
1: And so it worked, and he filled out the character well, so to be able to fill the physical description and also play the role well was monumental. It was amazing. It was very impressive. Yeah,
0: because it's like, this woman comes back looking for her uh, ex-boyfriend who proposed but she never gave an answer to mm-hmm. she finally comes back and goes to his house and sees this man here and starts just talking to him about mm-hmm. her Rambling. decision and just rambles on because she des- decided to go there out of nowhere right and impulse decision and like why am i here mm-hmm. and then she finally gets told by him by like taking off his glasses
1: mm-hmm.
0: that it's, it's actually him, the
1: same guy
0: but he's changed so much because he held so much hope for her coming back exactly but she and never And honestly,
1: the moment that you find out that he's married to another woman is... And the way Caitlin played that up and the way Isaiah played that up of just the absolute apology on his face. And
0: it, before she says anything, is they finally she finally realizes it's him. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, it's actually you. And like things are looking really hopeful mm-hmm. for about five seconds.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah.
0: And then out from the wings, somebody just yells over to him and it's his wife.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And then everyone's like, oh no.
1: Yeah, it's a, yeah, it's it's a build the audience up just to break them down kind of moment. And honestly, scenes with that are just amazing to watch and to be, and to see for the first time, honestly. <sighs> That's the best, to not know what's gonna happen next and just being completely broken down and being like, oh. And, like having... <laughs>
0: The whole cast watched that scene oh, and yeah. not having uh, read it or, like, actually seen right, it.
1: Right, because we practiced separately.
0: Yeah, like, they had no idea what was coming. So it's always like, or I think the first time that mm-hmm. they saw it, there were, like, three people that, like, started crying. Oh, yeah. Because they didn't know that was coming, and it it just broke everyone's heart. Oh,
1: Yeah that That was one of the sadder ones, for sure, but it was it was a good one there all the scenes and they were just good, whether they were good emotionally or whether it was comically or just you know a lot of them were just good all around, just fun to watch
0: yeah, and it like with the whole uh shoe scene like, <laughs> yeah the whole time this a married couple. They're Mm -hmm. going through problems. Right. And they're finally facing them with each other. Right. And telling each other. And the whole time you know that they're trying to make it work. Mm -hmm. But they can't. Right. And things just keep going out of control and they're trying to Take the frustrations out on finding the shoe,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and trying to alleviate some of the tension by having the wife walk out with a boot and an ice skate, right? It, and trying to alleviate some of the tension that way, just so it isn't as brutal of a scene as it is. Because,
1: but it is honestly when you <sighs> when you think about the dialogue said in that scene, it's real. You know that show, it's, it's real life. It's, it's a
0: real show. Exactly. There's something that everybody has been through in that show. Right. And, you know,
1: whether it may not be literally, you know, <laughs> like a shoe falling from the sky, but emotionally, everyone can relate to at least one scene in that show.
0: And then there's like Steve who can't feel pain and then <laughs> yeah. finally feels pain for the first time. Right. And is excited. and they're
1: they're just fun scenes that's an amazing show it deserves so much more recognition for just the beautiful writing it has
0: and uh we've been talking about that for a lot longer than i thought we would (laughs) uh uh, we have to wrap up here shortly but first we we always do pup dates oh (laughs) our ongoing segment we uh just talk about our pets and some new thing that's going on. Oh, I love that. (laughs) So, um, do you want to talk about your pets first? Sure.
1: Well, I technically only have one dog. His name's Thor. He is a Chocolate Lab Doberman mix. He's my best boy. Um, My uncle lives with us, and he... I guess we also have a bearded dragon, too. His name is Beardo. He is a handsome man. He is very round. Um, (laughs) He will lick anything he sees. And then my uncle's dog also uh, is at our house quite a lot. His name is Tyson. He's a pit bull boxer mix. Um, he will also lick anything he sees. He is the biggest sweetheart you'll ever meet and the biggest reason why I hate the stigma against pit bulls because yeah. he will snuggle with you. He will let you dress him up. He loves to be tucked in. Handsome boys. I just, I. just. They were both at home when I just left, and they love to uh, fight with each other, but Tyson is so much, you know, like stronger than thor (laughs) that he he ends up scaring thor and he'll just you know coward away like the little baby he is i love them
0: (laughs) well um sadly my my pup dates a little on the sadder side because like okay now my cousins were at my house and they are young and Mm -hmm. very loud yeah and one of my dogs uh mocha she's the one in the she gets terrified and super anxious so she wants to hide yeah and so she was hiding under the table and jack the old man he wanted to go under the table to look for food scraps Mm because there are people sitting there and um then mocha got very defensive of her under the table because it's her space and she's very scared so she, uh, goes after Jack a little bit, and we don't hear it at first because of how loud my cousin's yeah. are. Yeah. And when we finally hear it, we pull him apart, and, um, Mocha just runs away as quickly as hmm. she can. And, uh, Jack was, like, bleeding on, on his nose and, Sweet uh, boy. had a, a tooth ripped out. Oh. And, uh, we we told our cousins like my mom she told them that this is because of them and how loud they are right and if they are that loud again in our house that they're either going outside or going home Mm -hmm. because this is not acceptable
1: right yeah because you you can't blame mocha for that you know she was scared yeah and and i know she she's a sweet girl i love her (laughs) she is such a sweet little girl um She would never do that just to be mean, you know, unless she was very scared.
0: And she's a very anxious dog. Right. And so uh, our cousins after that, they sat in a chair and played on their mom's phone until they had to leave.
1: (laughs) Well, (laughs) that'll work.
0: (laughs) But um, yeah, I think that about does it. I just want to say again, uh, if you are... Having any questions or comments, uh, if you're on Mixler, you can send them in live. Um, if you're listening to this later on Apple Podcasts or SoundCloud, um, you can send us a message on our Facebook group and page at Break From Boredom Podcast, as well as send us an email at breakfromboredompodcast at gmail.com. Uh, thank you so much for listening, and thank you, Paige, for coming in and talking to me about diabetes and <laughs> uh, theater <laughs> <laughs> right um so anyways uh that'll do it for this one and uh i do have a song to pull up um it is um eleanor rigby um eleanor. And rigby by the beatles and uh, talk to you next time bye